How long was your first draft of one of the UCPIQ no. responses? Oh, come on. This can't be the make fun of Lily webinar. Oh my God. Hey there, my name's Lily and you're listening to Mindful Admissions, a podcast by Strive to Learn. We are back. Hey, whether you thought we would or not, <laughs> we are back with season two of Mindful Admissions just dunking on the haters. Um, actually, we didn't really have any haters or I would have stopped making these because I can't handle rejection. Uh, anyways, so this is the first episode of season two and I wanted to start it out with some sincere gratitude to you, to all of our listeners, and really to anyone who has supported Strive to Learn in some way. We're doing our best to pay it forward by making these resources free and high quality, so we hope you enjoy and learn a little from our team. This episode of Mindful Admissions was so fun to record because I got to have almost the whole team together on Zoom talking about this year's UC Counselor Conference. So the University of California system is a huge part of California students' awareness, um, and rightfully so. It's a diverse and intricate array of schools uh, that offers so much to prospective applicants. Every year, because it's just such a huge system, there's a need to update counselors on what these schools are doing and how and why. That's what the UC Counselor Conference is. It's kind of a huge festival if festivals were a little less fun and all about how to get into college. In case you couldn't tell from the little intro there, uh, my challenge when it came to the UC application was writing the 350-word personal insight question responses, something that the UCs anticipate and give advice on every year. I asked each member of our team to share their major takeaways and revelations and caught them all live on camera for you. Well, not on camera. You're listening to this, right? All right, I think that about covers it. Let's go to Josephine, Rachel, William, and me. First off, thank you guys so much for being here. Thanks to everyone who's watching and for people who are listening to this later on the podcast or watching on YouTube. It's really nice to have everyone and together in the same place and talking about something like this. Um, you guys have such a wealth of knowledge to share. And after something like the UC Counselors Conference, it's like, it's even more. It's all this new stuff to talk about. Um, I want to remind anyone who's attending uh, on Zoom that this is an opportunity for you to ask questions of our counselors. So please drop any questions that you have in the chat. Um, and feel free to raise your hand at any time. We're happy to answer your questions. Um, like I said, that's what this is about. So um, we're here to talk about the UC Counselors Conference, um, which you guys just finished attending. So thing that happens every year. Uh, and the first, not the first one that I've been conscious of, but the first one that I've kind of been involved in now, actually having to talk about it and be conscious of it, um, so just for anyone like me who's kind of not really familiar with what it is, uh, would someone mind explaining what the conference is and what it usually covers? Sure, I'll go first. Or or, um, or I guess I'll go first since I called it right when William was raising his hand. Um, <laughs> it's always, you know, you don't want to interrupt anyone and then you end up not, and no one ends up saying anything. So here we go. Yep. Um, we'll find your groove, I'm sure. <laughs> Um, yeah, so the UC um, Counselor Conference happens once a year in September, and it is a conference during which all of the UCs convene and um, convey you know, a bundle, a giant, giant bundle of knowledge upon all counselors, um, school counselors, independent counselors, um, who, whoever is working with students and helping them apply to the 
University of California system. Um, it's every year. So, um, you know, we've been attending it for over four years um, every year. Uh, so it's exciting to see what's kind of the same, what's different. Every year there are changes um, and we're just really excited to bring it straight from the horse's mouth to you guys so that you can factor this in when you're crafting your applications or if you're just thinking about applying to UCs and what you really need to be looking at. So um, that's kind of what it is. And it was virtual this year and it was last year for obvious reasons. Um, so <laughs> it worked out pretty well, but we were very tired because it's five full days, eight to five and a lot of information. <laughs> yeah. It's like a full school day of having to learn stuff. <laughs> um, so I, I wasn't um, attending the conference obviously. And the questions that I have for you are kind of from a student perspective, like questions that I have about applying to the UCs that I'm like, well, I hope that was covered in the conference. I hope you have something about that. So in order to kind of get this started um, and for you guys to have time to talk about things that really struck you from the conference, I was wondering if we could just go around and maybe everybody say their favorite part of the conference or maybe your favorite thing that you learned or your favorite session or talk. Uh, so I just thought that would be a good way to get this rolling. So who would like to begin? I'm happy to start. Um, awesome. And sorry, I should have added, um, if you would also mind introducing yourself at the same time. Um, oh, yeah. That would be great. Yeah, this is, I'm Rachel. Um, I am one of the college counselors at Strive to Learn. And um, I definitely took a lot away from uh, from this experience, um, as you said, you know, is five very long days and learning on zoom can be challenging. And I think that we can empathize with our students who've been doing that for a while now. Um, so, but what I found most helpful, um, was there was a whole session on, um, the PIQ section of the UC app, um, which is really, you know, what makes students stand out above other students and share more about themselves. So I'm happy to speak more on that later. Um, I'm sure Josephine and William would be too. Um, and I also like that they kind of, there was one day that it felt like they were really focusing on kind of diversity on campus and how, um, you know, um, Hispanic groups and LGBTQ and um, they had very specific sessions on, um, you know, how how various campuses welcome um, all sorts of students. So I appreciated that. That's awesome. And I definitely, I wanna get back to the PIQs. I have a lot of questions about that. So mm -hmm. awesome. I uh, will go next. Um, hi, this is William and uh, I am a college counselor and the academic coordinator for Strive to Learn. And um, you know, one thing is I always enjoy the sessions that they do that are presentations from uh, specific campuses where they're sort of catching you up on what's new. Uh, and they do a couple, they did a couple sessions like that this year where it was, I wanna say it was about a two hour, um, a two hour session and it was four or five different campuses that would take turns presenting on, on what's new. Um, they expanded on that this year, unless, correct me if I'm wrong, maybe they've done this in previous years and I'm just forgetting, but they also each got their own one hour session uh, spread across the five days too, which was cool to go into more depth. 
but I always enjoy those, those introductory sessions where, you know, it's like they have the chance to catch you up on, on what the new updates are and the new, you know, admission statistics for the year and, and those kinds of things. And then I also specifically liked the session about um, undeclared students and um, just what to know if you're thinking about applying without a major. Awesome. Yeah. And I think that there are, at least it feels to me like there are a lot of UCs, not a lot of UCs. There are a number of UCs that I know almost nothing about. <laughs> so it, it feels really smart to have that time for them to each be like, here, I, here we are. Here's what we are. We're not UCLA, actually. Here's <laughs> one of the other ones. Yeah, that, that seems really smart. All right. Josephine? Yeah, hi, I'm I'm Josephine. Um, I'm also a college counselor um, and the founder of Strive to Learn. Um, and this is my fourth year attending. And, um, you know, William, you're absolutely right. Um, they are doing all these sessions now that they didn't have in the previous years. And, you know, what I was saying is it's five uh, full days now. It used to be a one-day conference when it was in person. And you really had to pick and choose which sessions you could attend because they had several going on at the same time. So it's kind of neat because we are getting, you know, it feels like five times the information in one um, conference. And I agreed that the spotlights on the different UCs were really awesome. Um, I also thought um, they um, did some really, really great um, um, <clears throat> explanations of what does holistic review mean as specific to UCs. Um, so that was pretty interesting, especially now that they are test free and will not consider SAT or ACT scores. So it has gone from a 14 factor review to a 13 factor review. So really seeing, um, you know, how does that affect the other aspects of your application? How are they viewed? So that was quite interesting, kind of the, the look back, as well as hearing about reopening plans and things like that. Um, um, as far as, you know, when can I visit? Um, what does it look like to be on campus right now and just kind of getting the, the lowdown um, on HUC because not all UCs are the same. HUC is different, even though they are a system, they're um, separate institutions. So just hearing about those differences, like you said, you said um, Lily, they're not all the same. Um, so it's good, it's good to know kind of the specifics of each one. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you, everyone. It's really nice to get a little bit of an introduction and, and just hear where you're coming in from. Um, I, I really want to latch on to that, Josephine, the, the, what it feels like to be back on campus. I just went back on campus from, um, well, I just went on campus for the first time as a college student, even in my second year of college. <laughs> so I'm feeling very much, very, very grateful to be in person, at least outdoors and around on campus. It feels amazing. So for all of the students who are maybe wondering what that's going to feel like or if that's going to be possible for them, what kind of news was there for students about COVID and back to school with the UCs? Um, I'll take it since I kind of brought it up a little bit. <laughs> um, so the UCs um, are back on campus. Um, and like I said, each UC is a little bit different, but what they do have in common is that um, they do have a um, indoor mask mandate, all of them. Um, they also have a vaccination mandate. Um, UC Berkeley, for example, 95% of their students are vaccinated and 88% of staff. The vaccination mandate is not only for students, it is also for staff, um, but it does, um, yeah, that is something that is the same, I believe, correct me if I'm wrong, um, everyone else here, um, that is the same, the vaccine and masking mandates across each um, campus and on all the other um, UCs. So they are usually between 
between 80 and 100% in person. Um, like you see, Merced is 99% in person now. Um, housing is open. All first year students are again required to live on campus this year. Again, this is UC Merced as an example. And the students who are not yet fully vaccinated or the students who cannot get vaccinated due to medical complications, um, they instead of vaccination have to test twice per week, um, either until they're fully vaccinated or continue to do so, you know, if they have a medical condition um, preventing them um, from getting vaccinated. All students also have to respond to a daily questionnaire um, discussing, you know, uh, just thinking about, do I have any COVID symptoms, et cetera? Should I, you know, self-quarantine? Um, so yeah, so it's been pretty exciting. Um, I think a big part that would be very interesting for our um, audience is um, what about visiting, right? <laughs> when can I start visiting? So it depends on the UC. So make sure to go on the website of the UC that you are interested in um, and checking there when they will start. Um, a lot of them said that end of September, beginning of October, they will probably start having in-person um, tours again. One of them said though that they wouldn't have it um, until um, uh, January. I am blanking on which one that was, but I'll let you know if I remember while I continue talking. Um, so, <laughs> so for the um, one caveat though to that, to the idea of being able to go and visit is that they haven't had visits in a year and a half, right? And so the students who used to be tour guides, they might no longer be there. They may have moved on. They may have a different on-campus job now. And so they have to, um, at most of the campuses, really recruit more tour guides again and uh, train them in how to do tours successfully. And that is what will make the capacity limited. So of course, you know, social distance measures, um, stuff like that makes the capacity limited. But just know that if you know that they're going to start, um, you know, let's say you are looking at UCLA, you see, oh, they're starting up again. Like I said, check their website for the newest info um, in October with the in-person tours. Then make sure to sign up um, as soon as these appointments come onto the website, because you may have a month or so wait time before you can actually find a date that fits your schedule, just because they don't have that many tour guides right now. Um, but within the next half year or so, so coming into the spring of 2022, um, everything should, you know, should be up and run, running again. So bear with them. But starting October, you should see some opportunities for college visits. Awesome. Yeah. So, so campus visits, definitely a, a part of, um, or just an understanding of the campus is definitely a part of students crafting this image in their minds of what going to college at a UC would be like. Um, another big part of that, at least for me, when I was applying to college was thinking about what major I'd want to be in. Um, and I know William, you mentioned undeclared students that there was information for undeclared students this year that particularly kind of caught your interest. Would you mind telling me a little bit more about that? Absolutely. Yeah, I really enjoyed that presentation. Um, and yeah, so there were some several things that were mentioned that really stood out to me. Um, some in the form of statistics that I actually want to share. Statistics are not always the most interesting uh, thing to hear, but in this case, I think they are kind of uh, illuminating. So 20% of applicants to the UC campuses last year applied as undeclared, which is higher than I would have expected. The national figure is 50%, so that's still significantly lower than the national figure. And the presentation went into 
or addressed what some of the reasons for that might be. I think some of it honestly is probably expectations. Um, there's the reputation of the UC schools as selective, which is earned. And I think sometimes students get the idea that applying undeclared to a selective school is not a good idea. The presentation really, um, what's the word? I guess I could, you could just say it cast doubt on that concept or that idea that applying undeclared is not a good idea to a selective school. The presenters really wanted to convey the idea that if a student doesn't have a choice of major, they don't know a single subject that they're most interested in that they want to apply to, it's okay. And, and they don't need to force it just for the sake of being a more uh, attractive applicant, let's say. You know, it doesn't actually, the, the admissions readers, um, admissions reps at the UC campuses don't view choice of major as a positive or negative factor, it's neutral to them. So it, it does not, it ultimately doesn't matter for your, um, you know, your, your candidacy, I guess, or your attractiveness as an applicant or your va value as an applicant. It, it's, it doesn't really make you seem like you have your, you know, yourself together because you know what you want to study. They're very open to the idea that students probably have multiple interests a lot of times. You know, it's not that you don't like any subjects, it's that you like too many maybe, and you, you don't want to just make a hasty decision and feel trapped in that. Um, and so I really enjoyed that about the presentation. Um, so, so a couple other stats, uh, back to the numbers. Um, so 80% of students overall, so this is a national figure, I'm pretty sure, 80% of students change their major at some point during their, their undergraduate career, um, their first four years or so. 82 to 84% of students who change their major at least once graduate within four years. 78% of students who never change their major graduate within four years. Um, we actually uh, texted each other about that when we were all watching the session because it's it's a surprising statistic. You know, I, I think a lot of us would assume that if you're changing your major at some point or would think that if you're changing your major at some point, you have to take extra classes, maybe you have to fact track, it's extra work, you won't be able to do it in four years. And it's just not true looking at the facts. Um, and, you know, I think a big, as someone who, who changed majors myself, um, I think a lot of the reason for that is that in the traditional um, curriculum of a four-year university, you, you start with general education requirements anyway. So exploring a variety of subjects is part of what you end up doing anyway, because you have to fulfill certain subject requirements that are not ultimately gonna be related to your major. So you're gonna end up taking maybe psychology or sociology or computer science, even if your chief interest is, uh, let's say journalism, you know, you're still gonna have to take several courses that are not related to journalism in an obvious way. and so you can still graduate within four years, you know, as an undeclared, uh, starting out undeclared. So I think that was really encouraging to hear. Um, so I have more I could share, but I wanna, you know, give uh, Rachel or Josephine the opportunity to, if, if they wanted to add anything. I'm gonna piggyback on that real quick, um, because I agree that was, that statistic that you just mentioned was so interesting that a higher percentage of students who actually change their major at least once graduate 
within four years than the ones who don't. I was like, how did this even come about? So I'm glad you brought that up. Um, I also think it was cool. They described a lot of the support for the undeclared majors, just helping you find a career. And the fact that it is normal. You may not have yet been exposed to everything. You're still exploring fields of study. That's what college is for. Um, but I do want to put on the caveat that there are some majors you cannot en enter into later. So if you're a student um, really kind of looking at very selective programs at the UCs, um, for example, dance or theater at UCI, um, or any other um, major that has a supplemental application, um, nursing at UCLA, um, things like that, any majors that require essays, letters of rec, or anything like that, um, engineering, um, computer science, really take a look at that. Um, if you are feeling like you might want to uh, major in that, but you're not sure yet, at eight of the nine UCs, you have the option to put a first choice and then an alternate choice. So the recommendation is the highly selective major that you're interested in, put it as your first choice. And then as your alternate alternate choice, put undeclared within a department that is not as selective. So do it within a different college. If you're applying to so engineering first choice, maybe you want to put um, undeclared in letters and science as your second choice, um, because that way you're heightening your chances of actually getting in. Um, so really check which major you're applying for. Only the highly, highly selective ones are going to give you that problem. Um, and only UC Berkeley does not allow you to select an alternate major. Um, all the others do allow that. So that's something um, good to know as you're filling out your application, taking a look at those alternate major opportunities and selecting undeclared and putting your most selective one as your first choice. Uh, one other quick thing um, is on, on a similar note to what Josephine was just saying, the uh, presenters strongly discouraged anyone from thinking of the undeclared route as a backdoor to getting into some of the more selective majors. Um, that's something that I think they've seen in prior years is, or they've heard chatter that, that this is like a, a backdoor that you can get into engineering or nursing or something that's really competitive um, by applying undeclared and, you know, doing the requirements that you need to do and then applying, you know, as a matriculated student into the engineering department. It's, it sounds like it's not impossible. So when I say that, it's not impossible. It's just don't think of it as a viable pathway for the average student. It's still very selective. It's still very hard to get into those majors. Not impossible, just, just very hard. So it's just something to have expectat realistic expectations about more than anything else. I think also important to note is that, you know, whatever you end up majoring in, it doesn't have to define your career or who you become. Um, you know, they did a poll and asked all the counselors, like how many people actually are, are in the line of work that they majored in. And, um, I would say most, I think it was most people weren't. <laughs> um, so that's not to say like, you know, obviously there's a lot of value in higher education and, um, finding something you're passionate about to study, um, and making good use of the money that you're spending. But, um, there are many paths forward in terms of career. So. Yeah, I think that was one of the most um, surprising things or unexpected things of the conference, Rachel, um, that I hadn't really heard in previous years, that I heard it in several different sessions. The emphasis um, on what you major in doesn't necessarily define your career. Um, and, you know, they are public research universities, and they were really 
um, addressing that they are more than a giant research university. Um, and it felt like they were just really trying to tap into um, the student who might want to be more creative with finding their way to their field of study in a way that I haven't really heard them talk about um, in the previous years. So they were really um, saying how much they encourage interdisciplinary opportunities. And they actually really encourage students to do research outside of their main field. And they have all these opportunities for students. So just know that, you know, when you have a major at a UC, it, it seems like they really don't want you to be pigeonholed into that. They want to make sure they have students who feel free to you know, pursue an interest in the violin, even if uh, they're doing engineering. <laughs> Not that you can double major in that, that, that would be crazy. But, um, you know, they, they did put a big emphasis on that. So I thought that was really interesting how they um, said, rather than thinking that career preparation is the biggest um, uh, reason to go to college or to go to a UC, the bigger emphasis should be on becoming a critical thinker and gaining exposure to many opportunities to create really capable individuals who can succeed in various career fields, not only in their major. And I think that speaks to the ever-changing career landscape. Um, you know, people nowadays have uh, three to five careers in their lifetime. Um, so I thought that was quite interesting that I heard that across several sessions. Yeah, um, and Linda in the chat asks, is that because UC department heads are being encouraged to support cross-departmental collaboration? I'm assuming she means that meaning like that they want to encourage students to do many diverse things and not just focus on one thing too quickly. I don't know if it has anything to do with the department heads. Um, I think just in general, um, you know, the idea of critical thinking being a skill that is transferable to all <laughs> all career fields um, is driving this and also the interdisciplinary nature of our um, ever-growing world, right? You can't really see one thing separate from everything else. Everyone is constantly talking to everyone. This is a global community um, and things don't exist in vacuum. So I think they're really trying to encourage the students to um, start seeing that side um, and structure of the world before they actually get let loose in the world. But I do have to, I do want to put the caveat on it that um, liberal arts schools, to them, this is old news. Um, and you know, uh, they much more focus on these ideas. So I think that although UCs, you know, want to work towards that and offer these opportunities, um, I don't think it's quite on, on the level that a liberal arts school or a smaller um, medium-sized school would allow you to do um, necessarily. But I do think it's, um, you know, worthy to note that this is something the UCs are really working towards. Yeah, absolutely. So it sounds like knowing your specific major that you want to, I mean, isn't what specific major you want to be in by the time you apply. However, I'm wondering, there can't, it, it, students go to different UCs for different reasons. They're not all identical. So are there different UCs that are good for different, good, they're all good, <laughs> that are preferable for different specific majors? And like, if I really, really wanted to study computer science, what are the top UCs for me to aim for? If I want to study kinesiology, what's the top place for me to aim for within those nine UCs? Well, I think that there are definitely campuses that can offer unique resources and unique majors and opportunities to students. So there are certainly UC campuses that I would encourage students to apply to more than others based on having a preference for a certain major. You know, one of the most common 
um, majors that students come to me wanting to pursue is business. And they find out pretty quickly that there are not very many campuses that you can actually major in business that have a dedicated school or a dedicated department for business. So that's just one example, but you know, you, in that case, students would have to look to a particular campus and then even majors that, or subjects that are offered at all the, the UC campuses or most of them, you know, there might still be different specific majors within that subject that they can pursue. There might be opportunities that are unique like a community partnership or an internship or internship agreements with, with the area. Um, like for example, if you're interested in computer science, there's strong reason to maybe want to go to a campus in Northern California because of Silicon Valley and connections to the industry there. Um, somewhere like UCI, you know, UC Irvine has the, the whole hospital system that's connected to it. And so students who are interested in health sciences and, and medicine, there's strong reasons to want to apply to a campus like that. So yes, I do think that choice of major or at least general subjects that a student is interested in should factor in, or it's wise to factor that into to choice of which campuses you want to apply to. If you're not just gonna, you know, throw uh, darts at a wall and apply to all of them, you know. Um, yeah. For example, I mean, another example, UC Davis, um, with their presentation, they talked about how they're ranked first in the nation for agricultural studies um, and for vet medicine, vet veterinary medicine, um, as well as campus sustainability. Um, and, you know, they're right outside the capital city and they have, you know, um, a lot of satellite locations that uh, there's a there's an env environmental research center in Tahoe. Um, and a UC Davis hospital in Sacramento. And so they talked about these satellite locations and how those are also, you know, offer opportunities for students um, to kind of go outside of the actual campus and um, have these other great opportunities. So, you know, if, you, if you're looking to do agriculture or vet medicine, like UC Davis is probably the first one you wanna look at. <laughs> yeah, I think that, um, you know, if you have a major in mind, um, looking at these opportunities is great. And like um, both of you pointed out, finding specific things that you'd like to get involved in. So actually checking out, you know, who's doing research, who are the professors um, and actually Googling these people, maybe even emailing them and asking, you know, are there any research opportunities if I were to come to campus next fall? Um, people love talking to prospective students, so don't be scared to reach out. Um, you know, all that can happen is that your email gets lost and you don't hear back, but um, you might get a great answer and learn a lot about the campus. But if you don't have a major or field of study in mind, then I would say take a look at what each campus offers as far as um, their career counseling center and also really um, visit different campuses. I mean, Merced is much smaller than like a UCI, very different campuses, very different geographic locations, different classroom sizes. Um, so really take a look at those campuses. Think about your other good fit criteria. What kind of classroom do you want? Um, you know, how do you want to engage with your peers? Do you maybe have a really unique hobby um, that you'd like to find a community to share with? Check their clubs and student organizations. Um, you know, see where you can find your niche and your community. Um, and 
then the rest will follow. So that's my advice for students who don't yet um, have an idea for which major. Don't worry. They, they realize that you may just not have been able to explore. And it's totally normal because you're probably 17 or 18 years old when you're applying. So you're all good. As William said, you might apply, a student might apply to, you know, use the throwing darts method and apply to a lot or all of the UCs. Um, so I was wondering, does applying to one UC campus affect your chances of getting into another one? Can I just going to throw that out there? Um, they specifically said, no, it doesn't. They can't actually even see where else students are applying. So um, if that is the method that students want to take, um, it will not affect you in an adverse way. I don't know that as college counselors, we would recommend <laughs> that students do that necessarily, um, but that's our focus and goal is to find the best fit campuses for our students. Yeah, absolutely. Rachel, as long as you're unmuted. Um, sure. I, I want to make sure that we don't run out of time to talk about the personal insight questions. That feels like a really like meaty part of this conference and this conversation. Um, so I was wondering if you could tell me a little bit uh, about what the PIQs, the personal insight questions are um, and what you either learned about at the conference in regard to them or, or maybe something that surprised you or yeah. Absolutely. Um, so the personal um, insight questions are, um, a pretty important part of the UC app. Uh, there are eight options for students to choose from and they have to respond to four, or if you are a transfer student, you respond to three. Um, so I just learned a lot of valuable things about these because you know, we know that they have a holistic review process or looking at 13 different factors. Um, and so the PIQs are a way to kind of go beyond show your personality a little bit and who you are. Um, so, you know, they really, um, a couple of uh, people who are leading the session were very dynamic and really kind of saying, you know, these are not essays. So we, you know, whereas in the common app, you're writing a 650 word essay, um, that's a personal statement. This is not what they are. They actually want you to tell and not show. Um, they, they don't want you to use fluff and flowery language. Um, they just want you to like respond really as simply as possible as if you were sitting in an interview with somebody and they asked you that question, how would you respond? So really kind of getting across um, your point in 350 words or less, um, they say, it's, it's kind of encouraged to use 250 to 350 words. Um, that's pretty typical, um, but respond to the questions in a way that's authentic. Like they want students to tell their story um, and they should choose those four questions that they feel relate to them best and are, are going to add and strengthen um, their application. So, you know, be creative in your response, but not necessarily in your writing. Um, um, let's see what else I, I think, you know, there's no PIQ that is better than another. They all have equal value. So they're not judging based on which questions you answer. Um, so, you know, you just want to respond to the question, not, not really the prompt. They don't want quotes from other people, from songs, from, you know, think something that you think you're going to hook the reader. Um, I think that the presenter said, we are not English teachers. We just want to sit and read these and 
Um, we're not looking for grammar. So, you know, obviously like you still want to not turn those in with spelling errors and, um, you know, egregious <laughs> grammar, uh, grammar errors, but, um, you do, uh, not, you don't really need to that part to stress you out so much. So, um, you know, they, they really want students to be reflective, talk about, you know, um, however you're answering it, like use your, use your six W's, your who, who, what, where, why, and when, and how, um, and, uh, you know, go, go into like, make your application, use these to your strength. So, um, you know, like, who are you as a student and how can you, um, how can you show that with these answers? So, um, I feel like that was, you know, it was a great takeaway for me. They went into actually, um, each question itself and, um, gave some examples of, of, uh, students who wrote answers before that were very creative or, uh, kind of stood out to them. And, um, yeah, so I don't know, Josephine William, do you have anything else to add? about those? Uh, yeah, absolutely. Um, all very well said. And it's, it's just always funny to me to, to attend this session. There's some things that are kind of repeated every year and then some that are, you know, that, that are a little different in their new nuances. But I, I want to actually read, uh, I want to read a quote from the actual session because it's funny to me and I think it's kind of instructive. It is important that students understand the purpose of these responses is for admissions readers to get to know them. Literary or descriptive language is not helpful in introducing the student to the stranger in admissions. And I mean, we may have different opinions on whether that's true. I think create, creative ability in writing is something that you're conveying, but whether, however I feel about that, the point is how they feel about it. And they really wanna emphasize that you're trying to share information with them uh, you're trying to connect the dots between your academic record and everything that's in your application and your activities and what value that brings to your life or that what that has brought to you as in the person that you are and the student that you are. And my daughter is in the uh, in the room, as you probably just heard um, from that cough, but um, she likes to make her presence her presence felt. But um, they always make a big point of emphasizing bringing context and explaining something that would be helpful for admission staff to know. And I think that's really important. That's something I always emphasize when I'm helping students uh, complete these questions. Think about anything that you think is important for them to know that doesn't come through just by looking at the application, which I think is a lot. I think there's a lot of context that students can provide that may not occur to them at first. And I think a big part of it too is reflection. Reflection is really important because, um, you know, it's easy to be sort of stuck in your um, perspective and experience and not realize that what you have been through as a student, we don't know. We are not privy to that. We're not privy to how you experienced it. And I think that context of how something has been in your life or how you've experienced something, the process of it, those details are all really important. And I think it's not something that you can just assume that the reader is gonna be able to infer. So I think really reflecting on what are those details that are the most important to be able to share for this prompt or this topic that will help really give a sense of who I am as a person and, and what I bring as a student. Yeah, um, I love I love that your daughter Lucy is totally in this um, podcast with us. <laughs> she's amazing. Um, I'm sad she's 
you know, not on camera because she's so cute um, and growing a bunch every, every day. Um, I know she's giant now <laughs> compared to when I saw her last, right, William? Um, okay. Um, back to the PIQs, I guess. Um, um, so yeah, really focusing on your growth, um, they said is so important. So when you're thinking about, okay, context, what does that even mean? I like to ask students, you know, how are you different now? because you've had this experience versus who would you be if you hadn't had it? And that's a great question to kind of get yourself to think. Um, another great tip, um, I think, to kind of really try and get rid of flowery language and like giant backstory and just get to the point and say it and, and tell them about yourself instead of about others or, or everything surrounding it. You only have 350 words for each of these, right? Um, is to pretend you're in an interview um, and ask yourself the question and just verbally answer it while you are recording yourself. And then just transcribe that afterwards. Use that as a starting draft for your essay. Uh, that way you're going to be able to, you know, throw out everything you learned in English class about essays and just focus on the meat instead of worrying too much about how do I start? How do I end? What is my conclusion? They were very clear that they do not care. They're like, don't put a hook. We don't care. Just answer the question. And another thing that I think is important because students struggle oftentimes because they feel like, you know, although those questions are more specific than, for example, the personal statement questions on the Common App, they are still relatively broad and students start wondering, um, what should I be saying? What do they want to hear? So throw that out too <laughs> and really think about what do you want them to know and Google, UC personal insight questions, go on the UC website and read for each one. There are several questions below each main question that are called the things to consider. Don't just focus on the main question, but you Google that, go on their website, read through the things to consider because it's usually five to seven additional questions that help you think about different nuances. Then record yourself in a little mini interview with your Self and then start typing that up. You're going to get a lot deeper insights. Also, I like thinking about treating it like a recipe for a cake. Just give us the recipe. You know, how did you become a great leader? Tell us. But we don't need the blog post preceding the recipe. You know, we don't need to know how your day was and what you had for breakfast and, you know, what did your mom do and all of that. Like, we just need the recipe. So just get to the point, um, but focus on your growth, your insight, what you actually did, give us details, and what you learned. They are called personal insight questions. So you got to answer the question. You got to show insight and you have to be personal. Those are the main things to really focus on. And then you'll be good. So don't overthink what do they want to hear? What are other students writing? Just really focus on yourself and what it means and reflect and go deep. Smart. Good advice. I, I'm absolutely the kind of person who would who would write the blog post or the sonnet or the anything to get out of writing, frankly, about myself. So I, I really, this was a trick tricky thing for me to do when I applied to the UCs. And I'm sure that there are a lot of other people out there who it remains tricky for. How long was your first draft of one of the UCPIQ? No. Oh, come on. This can't be the make fun of Lily webinar. Oh my God. This is so the long. make students realize that it takes several drafts. So yeah, no, so long, like 800 words or something <laughs> like way too much, way too much. It yeah. was incredible. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. I appreciate that. It was incredible and incredibly long and unfortunate. So <laughs> it's okay. 
it got there. Turned it got it where into it your, needed to be. Hopefully you turned it into your personal statement. <laughs> I honestly, I don't remember. I hope I did. There was otherwise that's so many words wasted, just sent <laughs> well, out into the ether. I yeah. think your personal statement was actually more like 1400. <laughs> My God. Yeah. <laughs> that's amazing. You guys, I can't write short things. I can't write short things. At we'll least dig initially. The, dig them up, Lily, and let's make the blog posts. Oh God. Okay. Yeah. We'll <laughs> we'll make a blog post that's like the before and the after picture. Yeah. That could be we pretty really instructive. Should. Yeah. yeah I mean should. it was a brutal, brutal process for me. So if it helps <laughs> one other person, it helps one other person, it will be worth doing that. There yeah. you go. Yeah. Um, before we continue on to talking about other the rest of the the um, holistic review process, Linda has bundled four questions into one. Uh, in the chat. So I'll read it out. Without the SAT or ACT, how will the UC system assess a student's math strength? Is it solely a student's grade in high school math classes? Will taking an, a- taking an AP math class be more meaningful, in quotes, than a traditional calc or trig class? And what if your school does not offer AP classes? Are we all going to start talking out once again? No, it's, okay. a, tall, um, it's a tall order. <laughs> it is a tall order. Um, and I, I thought it was um, funny because you just said before we dive into comprehensive review, um, let's talk about this. But this actually brings us to the idea of holistic review of the 13 factor review process. Um, so when your um, application is read, first of all, it is read by one reader. So it is one person who knows all aspects. There's no point or scoring system. They really try to read all aspects and put them together to get a very holistic view of who you are um, as an individual. Um, So just know that trust the process. Um, And um, it's not five different people reading different aspects and not understanding who you are. So when we're being asked here by Linda, um, you know, Without the SAT or ACT, how will the student assess a student's math strength? We've taken math in school, right? Um, and so definitely they will take a look at your high school math classes. Um, if you are going into a um, subject that doesn't have a strong math component, um, you're totally fine just taking the um, recommended three math classes or three years of math at the high school level. Um, they say required two but recommended three. So go with the recommendation, not the requirement. Um, And and they'll look at that and they'll see what grades you got. And that'll give them a great understanding of where you're at with math. Um, Now, taking out the SAT or the ACT, um, they're not just focusing on the grade. They're gonna look at which math classes did you take and at what rigor. So did you take an honors class or an AP class? Um, did you take you know algebra one, geometry, algebra two, or did you take um, you know um, past that into pre-calculus, calculus, or statistics, right? That shows them a little bit more. Um, now, if a student wants to go into a major that is very math heavy, engineering, things like that. Um, Then they should definitely do four years of math, if not five, if it's possible for them. And they should try to take um, higher level classes such as AP or IB level. Um, Now that leads me into Linda's next question. Will taking an AP math class be more meaningful than a traditional calc or trig class? So meaningful, yes. If you're taking an AP calculus class, um, it's going to show higher rigor than a traditional or, or let's not say traditional, but then a non-AP calculus class, a regular standard level calculus class. Um, And 
Now you're asking also, what if your school doesn't offer AP classes? Because there are a lot of schools out there that don't have honors or AP classes, just regular level. That's totally fine. The use, part of the 13-factor review, one of the factors is understanding your school context. So what kind of school do you go to? So they actually receive a school report that the counseling department at your school creates that explains, we don't have APs. Here are the math classes that we offer. And then they will see, did you take the highest math class that you could have taken. And if so, they see, wow, within the student's context and the student's um, possibilities, the student is challenging themselves to the maximum. There is no higher level of math they could have done at their school. So that will look basically kind of better than if you have all these like opportunities to advance in math at your school, but you only did the lowest level um, because then it shows, okay, you had the opportunity, but you didn't challenge yourself. Um, one way though, if you are worried about not having AP math classes or um, advanced classes, and you do want to go into a very math heavy major, um, you can take an AP test without having taken the AP class. So you could step, maybe you're in a regular calculus class at your high school. You could then also get yourself an AP um, uh, calculus book. You could study for the AP calculus test and you could take the test. And if you get a four or a five, um, then you would even be be able to take in college credit. Um, and even if you get lower than a 405, it's still a great score to have a two or three, given that you didn't have an AP class. So just submitting that score can show them, hey, even though my school doesn't have this, I really, really am trying to, um, you know, increase the rigor. And I put a lot of time into this and I went for it on my, of my own volition, independently, I'm that motivated. So don't worry, even if you don't get a four or five, submit that score because you're really showing that you went for it, that you're going to take any opportunity you can. Another opportunity would be to enroll in a community college class locally. So it's a great way to see what would a college classroom look like. It's a great way to, you know, show, again, you have independence, maturity, curiosity, that academic curiosity is one of their factors. Um, so there, there are several ways that if you want to challenge yourself beyond what your high school offers, that you could go for that in those ways. I hope I got all of them, Linda. <laughs> Sounded pretty thorough to me. Yeah. Yeah. Um, speaking of speaking of high school, Jane asks, do you think I should ask my AP English teacher to review my essays and see if they're good? Because I'm thinking she may not really know what college admissions officers are looking for. I was told by some college preparation programs that they know what admissions officers want to read. What do we think about that? <laughs> I was kind of starting to type an answer and I'm uh, open to Josephine and William adding to this, but I would say um, that that anybody who's writing PIQ should have other eyes on them. Like you should have your drafts, you should have people who will read them. Um, you should absolutely be asking for feedback and not taking that feedback personally, but taking it as we want to. You know, these people want to help you make make them as good as possible. Now, I think what we just said in terms of what the committees are kind of looking for. They aren't English teachers. Um, and so, you know, your AP English teacher might take a different approach in saying, well, this needs to have more structure in, you know, you need to have a hook. It needs to sound like an essay. So I think, you know, with the caveat that you kind of, that the teacher actually knows, um, you know, what 
the UCs are looking for in these PIQs, then absolutely. I feel like that's an absolutely great person um, to review your essays um, as long as they, they kind of know what the goal is of the essays, of the answers. I also think there's uh, such a thing as too many cooks in the kitchen <laughs> and they are personal, right? We talked about personal insight. So I think every student has a different relationship with his or her um, English teacher. So make sure that it is a person you are very comfortable um, sharing personal things with so that you don't start writing your essay less personally, less vulnerable, less insightful, um, just because you're like, oh man, my English teacher is going to read this. Right. Um, and so I think that one's important. And then I also encourage you to give it, have them look at it a little further along so that it's more feedback on clarity, grammar, you know, do you have any run on sentences rather than trying to change your content in case you're not sure whether or not the content, um, the teacher knows, you know, these kinds of insights um, directly from the admissions representatives. So sorry, my dog is trying to get out, which is the scratching noise in the background. Just thought I'd explain that. Um, so yes. Yeah, that's a great point, Josephine. So yeah, so Jane, that could be a great person. If you're comfortable with her, I wouldn't, I guess we recommend not asking her just because she's the English teacher. The other thing that I think is important that your English teacher won't know about um, is what is the rest of your application? So I think the best person to ask to give feedback on these is someone who really understands your entire application. Your essays should be, they should not be reiterating your resume, your activities list. There is a very, very in-depth activities list on the UC application where you can write a lot of things, the context of the organization you're working for or volunteering for, as well as what you do and what your role is and how many hours you're involved and when. So they know a lot of that. So what you want to do is you want to go deeper than that. Um, and you want to make sure, just like William said earlier, you're always adding context. So that's why, you know, we as college admissions consultants really look at everything. It, even if we're just working on the UC essays with a student, we make sure uh, to, to ask for the transcript, the resume, all of these other things that we know the admissions representatives are going to look at. We look at test scores, we look at where do you go to school and understand the school profile so that we can help you pinpoint, are there any red flags? Are there any unexplained things? Or is there anything really interesting about me that they don't know yet, right? So really think about it that way and use your English teacher a little more, um, you know, for, proofreading, I would say potentially, um, than for actual writing. And I don't know if you have the opportunity to speak to a counselor at your school, at your high school, um, but that might be the better person even than the English teacher to go to for these, since hopefully they would have also attended this conference and attend other conferences throughout the year. Um, so if you're, if you're not able to work with an independent counselor. Um, but we do also help students one-on-one -on -one all the time. So feel free to reach out to us as well if you need help with anything. We're coming on to the final few moments of this webinar. So in order to kind of wrap things up in order to summarize, I was wondering if each of you could maybe tell me if you had to be a student, <laughs> write an essay about this, what do you think was kind of the central theme of this year's UC Counselor Conference? What really encapsulates the whole thing for you? It's all about context. So that goes for the UCs and the way that they view your application, the way that they um, 
you know, understand that students um, may or may not know what they're going to major in. It's all about the context the student is in of their life. They're interested in context. They're excited to get to know you. Don't waste your real estate on your application. And also context as far as us looking at the UCs, you as a student taking a look, you know, take a look around, get to know the campus, um, do their virtual info sessions, you know, for now when you can't go yet uh, and understand the context of each UC because each UC is very different from the next. Um, and you should really dive into that too. So kind of, I would say it's all about context was for me the main theme um, as far as viewing the UCs or as far as how the UCs viewed the applications. Um, I think for me, what stood out as a theme was uh, an emphasis on equity and providing opportunities to students from all backgrounds um, and just kind of really casting a spotlight on ways that they've tried to provide more access, whether that's eliminating the SAT ACT requirement or you know something that we haven't mentioned yet is they are they've revised their math um, they're basically their definition of what constitutes advanced math is changing so that they're going to allow things like statistics and data science to count for advanced math where it used to only be calculus essentially um, which I think is great because that you know caters to students that want to go into social sciences and you know, humanities fields um, and, you know, specific sessions for how they're supporting LGBTQ plus students and students from uh, low income and underrepresented communities. Just across the board, there was so much emphasis on providing equal access and celebration of, um, you know, increase in applications and the, the higher percentages of um, students from those communities. So I think that really stood out to me and I thought it was really cool. Rachel, what do you think was your central theme that you pulled out of the conference? Um, I think how um, adaptable, um, how how things have changed with the world and how they have changed with the times. And so, um, I mean, this was my first UC conference, so I can't um, really compare it to years past in the way that Josephine William can, but, um, you know, it just, it sounds like they, in general, the system has been really thoughtful about, you know, um, a changing, a changing world and being nimble and um, flexible and creative, um, so that uh, they can still show how much they care about their students and their experiences. Awesome. Thank you guys so much for attending. Thank you, Josephine, William, Rachel, and Shawnee behind the scenes. I really appreciate you spending this time to talk to me and to share all of your wisdom. Yeah, thank you. Thank you guys. Thanks for listening. As we continue to produce episodes of this podcast, you can follow along on our website, www.strivetolearn.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Stay tuned for future episodes and don't forget to subscribe. As we're launching this podcast, we'd appreciate any support you can give, including likes, downloads, shares, and good reviews. Got something you want to learn about? Ask us questions in the comments or DM us on Instagram at strive to learn tutoring. Get the latest updates in the college admissions world and be the first to receive exclusive offers when you subscribe to our newsletter by visiting our website, www.strivetolearn.com. Thanks for sticking around and I'll see you next time.